don't forget this man. He has plenty to do with the terrifying mystery that causes this glamorous woman to risk her life and reputation in a reckless experiment. A woman who, because of her consuming love for this man, gambles everything to unlock the fearful secret in his heart. What insidious meaning did he read into the markings on a tablecloth? Why, even when he held his sweetheart in his arms, did he gaze in fear at the dark lines of her robe? These are some of the clues in the motion picture which bears Hollywood's most distinguished mark of quality. We told you not to forget this man. He is Alfred Hitchcock, the famous director whom you are not likely to forget after you see Spellbound. G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. Uh, my name is Andrew Pearson. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be chatting about some films and stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm your co-host, Dave. I'm just going to fill that in for you. I feel like you're having a little, a little trouble, so I'm just going to jump in. Behind the scenes stuff here, usually we record this first thing in the morning. Like, for my first thing in the morning. Yeah. It's now first thing in the morning for Dave. And so yeah. it's now last thing in the evening for me. And Welcome my brain... to my world, sir. <laughs> My brain is working, but I've had a whole day of doing not much. So <laughs> uh, let's try to get you going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a, the crank. Um, yes. We are going to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's last film to be nominated for Best Picture today, which mm-hmm. is Spellbound. And Dave, I want to open with the question. Why the fuck did Spellbound get nominated for Best Picture? And it's the last time that... Alfred Hitchcock get nom- got nominated uh, was, for Best Picture. I was, I was really hoping you would tell me the answer to that question. <laughs> so, uh, you are the reason we were watching this movie because, like, I was like, "Well, we could watch." You know, I haven't watched this Hitchcock movie, or we could watch Mildred Pierce, one of the greatest movies ever made. And it was like, "Oh, you haven't seen Spellbound? That's one of my favorites." So we're gonna watch that. I was like, "Okay." With the caveat, um, I haven't seen this in twenty years. Twenty years. Okay. So here's why it should it should win an Oscar, let alone be nominated. Because it has a line reading of someone amorously saying liverwurst. Liverwurst. And it somehow works. There's no way that should work, Andrew. And if anything tells me that this is a piece of film brilliance, it is that. Yeah. For sure. And only she, only she could give that line reading and make it work. Uh, Ingrid Bergman, obviously we've talked about how wonderful she is, Um, you know, Casablanca and Gaslight also here. She's it's a great, great, great performance. But like that's all I have in my head when I think about this movie. Leverwurst. She's just is, so in love. <laughs> it is the most romantic enunciation of the word. Like it is seriously. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want right, to. So I'm going to start off the discussion talking about the opening of this particular film. The fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves. William Shakespeare. That's that's one of the opening moments. Of really it. setting the bar high, though. Yeah. Like, let's pump the brakes. And then he says, our story deals with psychoanalysis, the method by which modern science treats the emotional problems of the sane. The analyst seeks only to induce the patient to talk about his hidden problems to open the locked doors of his mind. Once the complexes that have been disturbing the patient are uncovered and interpreted, the illness and confusion disappear, and the devils of unreason are driven from the human soul. Wow, it's very um, it exciting. So, yeah, God, that's a lot. How so, did, watching this and reading that, how did you? What, what did you expect going into this film? All right, so this is actually the point I was just going to bring up. This is the reason 
when you hear these big names of directors, you should go to the trouble of watching them because they are not, they're usually not what you expect. You hear Hitchcock, right? You think Mm. psycho rear window, like little bits of comedy maybe, but like very serious thriller stuff and like high level work. And it's uh, it's homework. I got to sit down and watch Alfred Hitchcock. This guy's a fucking goof. Like this (laughs) whole movie. It's, it's like over the top. Like, I like I want to I want to preface all this by saying I do like this movie a great deal. I don't think it's anywhere near his best work. Oh, no. I'm not sure it should have been nominated for an Oscar. It is very silly, um, and there's like there's a lot of jokes in this movie. I was just like, what what am I watching right now? And it and it's extra funny when you talk about that introduction that is so deadly serious and talking about psychoanalysis and quoting Shakespeare and like oh my god and then like. The whole first third of the movie is like, ah, this lady needs to get laid. Like, that's the whole, <laughs> the first 25 minutes, that's all it is. And I'm like, what am I getting into? Like, that is not what I expected here. Because I knew it was a movie that was about psychiatry. I knew it was a Hitchcock movie. I knew it was like Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck. Okay, very serious actors. And it is totally unexpected and, like, kind of wonderful. Like, mm. I, it was su- such an enjoyable experience, especially after watching The Lost Weekend, which I, I thought The Lost Weekend was going to be like this, given who directed it and the name. And so I'm glad I got I got this, right? I, yeah. Of course, we've talked at length about how much I love Mildred Pierce, but, like, also, that's a movie that's been talked about, right? Like, it's like, we all know it's, a, you know, a titan of cinema and one of the greatest things, blah, 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 blah. This is, like... It's definitely like quote unquote lower tier Hitchcock. It's not Rebecca. It's not Suspicion. I'm kidding. Uh, it's, 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 it's not Psycho. It's not Rear Window. It's not Vertigo. Like all this stuff. But it's like it's it's just a really enjoyable movie. It's fun and funny. And I yeah. was not expecting. I I I mean it's yeah. It's been twenty years since I last watched it. Um, pretty much around the same time. 20 years ago, I watched this film and I, I think that my memory of it back then was I really enjoyed it back then and I don't love it as much now. It's still Mm. a good film, but I don't love it as much maybe because I have sat so much with the great films of Hitchcock and looking at the five films that he was nominated for best director, Rebecca, Lifeboat, he got nominated for best director for Lifeboat, Spellbound, Rear Window and Psycho. And that's what kind of does my head in is like, well, if he was nominated mm, yeah. for best or best director for Rear Window and Psycho, why weren't either of those films nominated for best picture? They saw it, obviously. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah right. right <laughs> superior right, right. films than these, you know, it's just like, I, I find this really interesting film because the thing that stuck in my mind the most was the Dali sequences, the Salvador oh, Dali dream well, sequences. Stunning. And they are stunning, but they only make up for about 90 seconds of the film itself. And my memory was that it was actually a lot longer. I, I remember it being a huge sequence, oh. like this huge set piece. And then... Oh, it's, no. it's basically transitions. Like, that's all, that's all it is. It's, it's transitions into memory. Like, it's just like, oh, now I saw this refracted weirdness. Now I remember what was going on. Like, yeah. it's... I I have something that may be, maybe a quote-unquote hot take. Ooh, oh, dear. Um, I don't think that Gregory Peck is any good in this movie at all. Oh, I think no, he's, he's not. He's terrible. He's he's really bad. Like, 
especially next to Ingrid Bergman, who is saying crazy things, saying nonsense things, but not just the liverwurst, but that too. Um, but it's so convincing and so heartfelt. And he is just like so stunted. And, and you know, the, the height and the deep voice do not help this. But I'm just like, man, shut up. Nobody, nobody cares about you. We're not here for you. Just stop. And it's just, it's not, it's not a performance that is really, it, mm, how can I, I can't say this nicely. It feels like a lifetime movie type performance. Like, oh, and then this crazy thing happened and look at this man who is completely changed. And it's like, but it's not a good performance of that. And no. Hitchcock has an ability to have this type of story. He does do ridiculous stuff in his thrillers. I mean, look at Psycho. Mm. That I mean, there's a man dressing up as his dead mother to murder people. If anything's ever been a lifetime movie of the week, it's the plot of Psycho. Yeah, <laughs> but that works because that performance is one for the ages. This performance by Gregory Peck as quote unquote Doctor Anthony Edwards, um, which just makes me think of Goose from Top Gun. Anthony Edwards. That's the only thing that jumps in my head. Yeah, um, yeah, it's sitting right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just not good. Like yeah. no part is good, whether you think he's this doctor or this this man who's had this break, like none of the performance is good. And that is that's really depressing because like the rest of the movie is very well performed. And I don't know that it's like super well written, but it's fun. Right. It is. It's not designed to be subtle in any way. It is supposed to be over the top and in your face. But his performance really hinders this movie a lot. Yeah, and so this was his fourth performance, and I think the key thing is, and I'm curious to see when, when we get to A Gentleman's Agreement, which won Best Picture, and seeing what his performance is like there, because that's only a few years later, but mm-hmm. I think the key thing is with this is that there's no real hint of the greatness that would come with Gregory Peck as an actor. Yeah, no, it's like, role. he's a great actor. Yeah. like, And that's what was so shocking when I watched this. I was like, what? Oh. It would be watching like a, you know, finding a lost Daniel Day-Lewis performance and he's like legitimately bad. You're like, what happened? Who got a hold of Gregory Peck? It was like, look, motherfucker, you got to shape up or ship out. Because like this was, I mean, it's a rough, rough, rough performance. Yeah. I think one of the things which I find really interesting, and I guess we should probably give a bit of a a synopsis of the plot where Bergman plays a uh, doctor in a, a psychiatric facility and there is a new doctor who is coming along that to replace one of the guys that's leaving. And Especially the guy who's like the head of the program, yeah. right? Like he's the boss, right? Yeah. yeah. And this really highlights how much of a different era this was in because effectively they just, you know, sent this dude a letter and had a chat with him over the phone and were like, yeah, no worries. Come on in, buddy. Yeah, Come yeah. on in. No, take you're not take this high-level job. Is- no references, no in-person interview. Come on down, buddy. You yeah. you got the qualifications. And then when Peck appears as John Ballantyne, uh, is is his real name. Uh, Doctor Anthony Edwards is the name that he assumes and and thinks that he is. And it's pretty obvious that he's not that dude straight away. Like he's not that guy. And yet the whole entire film is then set upon this trajectory of finding out who he is and it's this tale of amnesia and and one of the things which i found around some of the best picture nominees that we've watched is like like random harvest for example this Mm. deals with amnesia a little bit better than random harvest does where they're just like you know so much could have been yeah (laughs) so much could have been dealt with better in that film um but (laughs) I, i find the interesting aspect of um amnesia and the 
allure of amnesia throughout the 1940s and 50s so kind of perplexing mm. because it is this there's nothing of characters that are but you can't construct a character out of this because the character doesn't even know himself they don't know mm. who they are and so therefore all that we get to know is that they don't know anything about themselves and so they become a blank slate and right. peck while he's a good actor he's not able to live that history that Ballantyne has underneath the surface, deep underneath the surface of the character who doesn't know who he is. And that, I think, is, to me, that at least makes what a great amnesiac performance should be, is that mm. the person still exists there. They are there, but they right. just don't know it. Mm. And the downside is I can't, come th- I can't think of any uh, particular performances off the top of my head that are like you know, textbook examples of this, but that's what I kind of expected from something like this, but it's just Mm. not there. And so he is very weak. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, I was just like racking my brain trying to think of like good amnesia movies. There's a lot of Mm. bad ones. Um, you know, some of like, you know, like, uh, regarding Henry, not great. Um, there's, there's a lot of these where they're just like, well, that's a version where like, you know, you've seen what the character was like before, and then you, you know, you erase all that and you find out what it means to be human and how it's going to be different. And that rarely ever works. The only, the only memory loss movie I really like that jumps in my head is Memento. Yeah. Um, which is a great, great, great lead performance. Um, but like most of them, like it's, it's an old trope. Like we've done this a lot. I guess Vanilla Sky, if you like that movie, there's, there's some stuff to be done there. Um, but, like, you know, it's a lot of silly stuff when it comes to amnesia, which I think is why back back then this was done a lot. Because you could do a lot of fun stuff. You could do, you know, you could introduce this character to things that everyone's done before, like, you know, eating a picnic of the liverwurst sandwich. You could you could do that. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of silliness. It makes me think there's a there's like a joke running around Twitter, like uh, probably about a year ago now, where it was like, you know, uh, looking back on my childhood, I really thought that quicksand was going to be a much bigger yeah. problem <laughs> than it was, right? And the same thing with like amnesia, like you just heard about like, oh, yeah, you get knocked in the head and all your memory is gone and you have to start over from nothing. Like this happens in a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies because it makes for compelling immediate drama, right? Um, but it also provides a lot of silliness um and and i think that's what you get here is this movie is just like and i'm shocked to say this about hitchcock it's just mainly it's mainly silly like most of this movie is just silly nonsense and then they try and god bless hitchcock but he tries to like weave in some real stakes and real danger and to me it falls flat a little bit because the rest of them like i was wishing really dove in like make this a full-on comedy Mm. like just really go for it really go for the liverwurst moments here and have a good time Okay, I want to touch on that for a second in a moment, but I think one of the aspects about amnesia that isn't really, like, it's not something that can be used nowadays, especially because it has become such a serious uh, aspect and element of the Fast and Furious films. Like, it is mm-hmm. so, and it's dealt with in such a, like, a straight-faced manner that becomes so comical in that film with, uh, I think it's Fast Four with Letty having the amnesia, and it's just like, it's so oh, absurd, stupid. so of this, over the top, so stupid that you can't help but laugh and you kind of wish that that I agree that that level of comedy was brought to this, but I question whether it would 
even be done in a respectful or tactful manner in the Absolutely 1940s. Not. Yeah. It wouldn't even be done respectfully now. If you yeah, this is true. <laughs> Honestly, the only time amnesia movies worked for me other than Memento are like action movies. Uh, you know, you got like the Jason Bourne franchise. You've got like the Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, Long Kiss Goodnight. Like that, yeah. that stuff really, really works for me because it's over the top already. Like, I am not looking for gritty realism out of the long kiss goodnight. Like, that's not that's not necessary. So, you know, and it becomes like as things start to come back, it becomes empowering as opposed to victimizing. Um, so that stuff really works. But like, it uh, doesn't work here. And also like the the memory returning. Is it just me or does it seem a little too easy? No, oh, of course it is. Like, she's like, she's like, hey, just think hard. Try remembering. Let your mind go back to your childhood. Was it happy? Whom did you know in your childhood? I'm haunted, but I... I can't see by what. It's no use. You lived somewhere. You had a mother. You were loved. You had friends. Yes. Probably a wife. Can you remember her? Oh, I didn't say I had one. I said I probably had. No, darling. Thank heaven I can't remember a wife. I would like to ask you a medical question. Constance, would you mind not prodding me? It it mixes me up. I, I can't remember anything. Except that I love you. How would you diagnose a pain in the right upper quadrant? A pain that is persistent? Oh, uh, gallbladder, possibly a heart case, and pneumonia. Depending on the patient's history. It's obvious you're a doctor. Yes. The eminent Dr. X. And if we can unlock one tiny memory, he'll give us a key to the others. No. Yeah, I'm gonna poke you in the head and like you'll remember. Look at oh, lines. Look at... Dolly. Yeah, yeah. Look at oh, all these refresh. lines. Oh yeah. I remember everything. And it's like okay. Yeah. And and also like the it's so obvious that he's not who he says he is from the beginning that these realizations don't really hit home and feel impactful at all. They're like, oh, I guess that's the story we're telling. Okay, sure, why not? And and there are moments where I have to like bring myself back to it and like not tune out from the nonsense because you're like, if you don't care about Gregory Peck's character here, which I don't, uh, I don't think it's not that it's impossible. I'm sure there are people that will watch this movie and and care about his character, but I think it's effortful. Mm. Like I think you really have to try. Um, so like when these things come to light, it's like other than like rooting for her because she loves him for whatever reason just because because he's a nice man who gave her a sandwich i um which i I get actually well i have an idea about it like i I have an understanding about because you know in this and i don't know if this is a conscious decision from hitchcock or not the screenplay is by um ben hecht and angus mcphail as well so should point them out and it's based on a book. name is mcphail mcphail m-a-c-p-h-i-l uh mcphail McPhail. that sounds like an insult that's like <laughs> continue go ahead <laughs> McPhail. yeah uh based on a book uh house of dr edwards and one of the things which i i don't know if it's a conscious aspect of any of these creative people at all but it, the film really pointedly highlights the level of misogyny that she yeah. suffers and endures. And to yeah. me, that's the reason why she looks at him and says, 
Yeah. You're a nice hey, guy. Hey, you. You're you, a guy, and you're not an actual monster. You made me. me a sandwich. I That's love nice. you. <laughs> this is like actually, this is a really good um, illustration of like, and I've made this joke to my female friends before. Like, do you know how easy it is to be quote unquote one of the good ones? Like, you just have to like yeah. have the like radical idea that like you're not lesser than me, and also I shouldn't assault you. That's it. That's all you need to do to be a good man in 2021 is like just not be an actual monster. And this is actually a really good illustration of this because everyone talks out of the side of her mouth, uh, side of their mouths at this woman, like with impunity, like just like like literally almost literally saying like, man, if she just got some good dick. She'd be all right. Like, that's all you need. You ice queen. Like, it's like, what is wrong with you people? Like, this is your coworker. What are you? But what the, are you doing right now? The thing I find really interesting is the way that Hitchcock uses this misogyny to um, basically villain, like create the villain in the particular film, the narrative. Who uh, Leo G. Carroll plays Doctor Murchison, who is so like he doesn't have a mustache in this, but you could feel it like just twirling well. on the screen there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that you can feel that he's using that that nastiness and the misogyny directed towards uh, Constance in a manner that is like, see, look how terrible this person is. But then the downside is that all the other men that are around him are like, yeah, he's right. He's right. You know, and <laughs> right. they're all on his side. And so it, it only just further highlights how terrible all of these people are. And it feels like a very, you know, real kind of um, thing because it is something that, you know, yeah. women have to endure through workplaces, and it's something yeah. that people I, have to live I with. I 100% think that that was a purposeful choice okay, from Hitchcock. Like, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Hitchcock made a lot of choices that come across that aren't purposeful. Like, he's very, he's very... He's very specific director. He makes very specific choices. And and this is so overwhelming that there's almost no way that that was not purposefully done. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And I and I think that's one of the things that really, really works. And I think her performance is really good, as always. No surprise here. Oh, yeah. Um, but the way you see her – and this is not an easy thing to do. The way you watch her endure – because um, she does most of it without a bunch of dialogue. There's not a lot of like, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to tell you men what's what. Mm. It's like just the slight like adjusting of her glasses and the the averting her gaze. Like there's so many little acting moments uh, that she chooses to use here that really show how much she's being beaten down mm. at her job on an everyday basis. And it's like. It's not a, like, one giant moment that, like, oh, this guy said this one terrible thing, and now I can't get past it. It's like, no, it's the everyday. It's the chipping away at my self-confidence and all of this that that slowly get to her, which is why when Gregory Peck shows up and he's nice and kind and giving and respects her opinion, and is Gregory Peck attractive, good-looking man, has got a great voice, he's tall, he's got all these things going for him, so you understand why she's drawn to him, especially with these other trolls and monsters that mm. she works with. Yeah, but I guess at the end of it, it's, you know, the end of it, I guess, is like saying the only way to be a good guy is just to have your head knocked in and so you can't remember who you are as a person. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And that's that's like, okay. <laughs> pretty dark. Pretty dark it's there, pretty dark. Alfred. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's I and that's a choice maybe that I don't think he was making purposely. This I don't think Hitchcock was a like all men are 
are monsters type guy. Uh, but I think it really works for the the drama of the film, right? Yeah. To to know that like okay now now what? Yeah, right? exactly. Like he's, he's quote unquote changed, but like where does that leave us? At the end of this, where does this leave our main character? It's, you know, she's had, she had a run there of a couple of years of being these women who are in pretty bad circumstances. Oh, yeah. To come up gaslight to this is, like, not actually that much of an improvement. Like, it's, you're still in a but, bad scene, man. But that's the thing, is that, like, she gets these terrible, these characters that have to suffer, endure terrible things, and yet he gets this role into his fourth role as, like, this the hero of the piece. And I find that really interesting. But on the same hand, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at the clock and it's like 20 minutes that we've been discussing this film. I'm kind of like, in regards to Hitchcock films, I feel that this is very light and very, very slight. And I don't find, and and this is why I was a bit disappointed because I kept on expecting this daily sequence. I'm like, yeah, I remember this daily sequence. I remember it. And it's like, it's fleeting and it's wasted. And it yeah. becomes a little mm-hmm. bit pointless and it looks great. Don't get me wrong, but it's of just course, like, yeah. it feels like the only reason this film exists and that's a disappointment. And right. so right. while I appreciated the viewing and I'm glad that I rewatched it, like when I rewatch Hitchcock's films over and over and over again, this is not one that I feel that I'll be revisiting again in the future. Right. Right. Um, so, and that's fine. So I've- I have a couple of questions. One, one's not a question. One's just a statement. Like, see, Andrew Mildred Pierce. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. Exactly. That my second question is like, okay, so you remember the Dolly sequences being longer and being more impactful, and that's one thing. But what else has changed? Because when you when you saw this originally two decades ago, uh, you thought like, this is great. I really enjoyed this movie. So, do you think? You miss something on the first viewing, or do you think you've changed as a viewer? Like, what's different? I've changed as a viewer. I've grown as a viewer. I've learned to appreciate and understand the complexity of narratives a little bit more. I appreciate the complexities of um, when misogyny is being presented on screen and mm-hmm. in, in a really nasty, toxic way. And, you know, I think this is the thing is that for younger viewers, you know, I was 17 at the time, I think, 16, 17 at the time when I would first watch it. It's like, it's easy to kind of get swept up in that. And it was around the same kind of era that I was watching Fight Club over and over again, like every mm-hmm. teenage boy would at that time. Where it's like, oh, look at this film. It's all, you know, you know, bravado and macho and all, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, that's what it means to be a man. And then you watch something like this and it's like, yeah, fine, no worries. And I, don't, I, I honestly can't remember if that's my takeaway from the film or not. Right. But I've grown as a person since then because I recognize, no, these are not good people at all. Like, they're not people that you want to be. And I think that's the key thing is over time learning what to take away from films, learning to understand about society, listening. The key thing is listening Mm -hmm. and taking on board. Okay, these things aren't helpful, you know. Listening to what women have to say about working in a situation like this and you go, all right, well, how can I be a better colleague for the women that I work with? Mm -hmm. How can I be a better partner for the women that I live with or my Mm -hmm. sister or my mom, you know, those kinds of things. And that's what you do as a person. You grow over time and you learn Mm -hmm. and you take away these things. And that's what I've learned and grown from 
you know, watching Hitchcock films for right. literally all of my entire life have grown and watched them and being like, you know, there is no greater figure in, in cinema than Hitchcock who has a complex relationship with the women on screen. He is, right. you know, he did terrible things to some of the women to get the performances and the films that he did. And that's a complex relationship in itself. And, and it's a conversation that we have with ourselves and we will have in the future when we talk about, you know, somebody like Woody Allen, for example. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a case of what we do as people who watch films and enjoy films and discuss them. How do we properly discuss those films? How do we properly engage with them in a right. polite, uh, respectful manner? And right. not only, I mean, polite and respectful sounds uh, humdrum. But it is being respectful. You know, how do we become and be respectful people when discussing films, when exploring cinema, when being people living day to day lives? That's yeah. what's changed. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's no, that, that makes perfect sense. And this is what really disappointed me about this movie is when I think of Hitchcock, you brought up the word complexity. Uh, and having a complex relationship with it. And that's what I think of when I think of Hitchcock movies, is that they're not simple. They're not straightforward. There's some goofiness in some of his movies, but that's usually not the focus. And like, you you know, you look, I mean, we talked about Rebecca on this show. I mean, talk about a complex narrative. I mean, there's a lot there. Same thing with Psycho. And Psycho, actually, I was shocked at how well Psycho dealt with mental illness when I watched it for the first time. Like, Granted, it's, there's some things in there that are dated, for sure, but there's like a whole wrap-up section in that movie where they're kind of talking about why he has done what he did. And most of it, I was like, you know what? That's, for the time, that's pretty good. That's pretty progressive that they're looking at this. Um, and, you know, things obviously things like Rear Window and Vertigo, all very complex narratives, and there's a lot going on, and there's a lot to read into. And then I watched this, and I'm like, this fucking nonsense got nominated for an Oscar. Like out of all the great movies that he did, and there are many, 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 this maybe is the simplest film that I've seen of his. Like, it's just, it's so, it's kind of trite. It's rudimentary. Like, it kind of, it's rudimentary. so silly, especially as we talked about, given that introduction with the big quotes and talking about, oh, psychoanalysis and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, it's very silly. Like, and not in a fun way, necessarily, in a way where you're almost like, there could be something here with this lead performance. And eh, I feel like we are, we are, you know, not living up to her. Yeah. Um, to her performance here. It would be like if Gaslight was like really simple and rudimentary. And it's like, thank God that wasn't. Um, but this is, this is a rough one. And it's not a bad movie because I don't think, no, I don't think Hitchcock can make a bad movie i don't think he made a single bad movie but for him this is a bad movie right when you when you compare it to everything else he did for what else this is like a three or four star movie it's fine it's good have a good time but for him you're like i was just expecting a hitchcock movie yeah like especially really good. especially because of what's come before it and what's come after it you look at it and it's like it would be different if this came early in his career whereas this is like after rebecca and you're like it's after strangers yeah. on a train and you're like, Oh, you know, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Cause yeah. he can make, he can make silly movies that are good. Oh yeah. North Trouble North with Harry. Harry. Very silly. Trouble with Harry. Absolutely. And, those, but there's still complexity to it and still interesting. And this is just like, I don't know that he was trying to make a silly movie, but he still kind of did. Yeah. Like this feels like unintentional comedy. Exactly. 
Do you have anything else you want to say about Spellbound? No, I'm just mad at you because I could have yeah, I could have been talking about Mildred Pierce, you son of a bitch. But instead we're talking about Spellbound. This I'll is give you, I'll give you a win for the next the next one. Uh we're talking about best years of our lives. All right. Oh man, is... you want to hear me mad on a podcast? You're about to fucking hear it. This is because this is the, the biggest mistake that the what Academy ever made. What did it beat? It beat one of the greatest films ever, ever made. It's a Wonderful Life. And is and that's a film that we're going to be discussing in the extra one. So I give you a bone. You know, you throw okay, me a bone, I throw you a bone. Yeah. We're not gonna we're not gonna watch the yearling about a, a child who takes care of a troublesome deer. That gets killed gonna... at the end. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's nineteen forties cinema. I know that that deer is getting murdered. Yeah, I know where this is headed. This is old yeller with a deer. I know where we're going. <laughs> Aura shoots flag with a double barreled shotgun. Discharging, discharging one of the barrels, but only wounding the deer. Penny oh, orders no. Jody to put Jody, who's the kid who grows up with the deer, put the deer out of its torment. Rather than oh let the de- pet deer suffer an agonizing death, he follows his father's orders and kills Flag with the remaining shell. Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah. I saw that as a kid. Know. No kid should have to watch that film. And that film has Jane Wyman in it. Maybe that's why it sticks in her. She sticks in my mind so much. She's... All right. All right. Uh, well, now I got to watch it. I got to deal with this nonsense. Thanks, Academy. Good, good luck. Yeah. yeah. But we're going to talk about another fucking war movie because this is, I don't know, this is what we do. The best uh, by, years of our lives. By the director of Mrs. Minow. Oh, God. Oh, fucking. Here we go again. Is there? I, there better not be a priest saying like it's our fight at home. Like I just, uh, I cannot deal with this. What a hack that guy is. Like, like, like sand in an hourglass, Dave. These oh. are the best years of our lives. That um, is not. That is not the phrasing. This is. Those are the days of our lives. I watch that. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Uh, you can follow me follow me on Twitter at darn that Dave and get to tell me you can tell me why war is good actually uh, come come tell me that because the films like going my way when um and you can fo- follow me on uh, the curve AU and also uh, together awards don't pod on Twitter um yeah and we'll see you on the next episode where we discuss the epic war film the best years of our lives go watch Mildred Pierce instead go yeah. watch that yeah. Exactly. You know, Brief Encounter was nominated for Best Director. Little Brief Encounter. David Lean was nominated for, not even nominated for Best Picture. Instead, they nominated The Yearling. Ugh, good. Where Jane Wyman murders a deer. <laughs> That's definitely how that happened. <laughs> oh, isn't this beautiful? Perfect. Oh, lunch, lunch. What do you have? Ham or liverwurst? Hmm? Never worries.